0: This is the Alchemized Life Podcast. I'm your host, Ava Johanna, and I am so grateful to have you here joining me for yet another soul expansive conversation. My intention with every episode is to show you through storytelling and in-depth conversations that you, yes, you, are capable of creating anything you desire. Alongside yours truly, you'll hear from thought leaders and industry voices, and together we will teach you how to come alive in your authentic expression and remember the infinite power of your soul. We're covering topics like wealth, worthiness, the pursuit of your passions, and you'll be inspired to break all the rules of living an ordinary life. You were truly put on this planet to have it all. The thriving spiritual practice, the steamy relationship, the income, and the impact. So together, let's align with our divine selves and alchemize your life. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Alchemized Life podcast. Oh my goodness gracious. Today we're joined by Emily Stella Fletcher. Back again, back again, which is so exciting because, and you'll hear, I was sharing this with her at the beginning of the episode. It's been maybe four years since she came on the podcast. And Back then, I was such an itty bitty podcaster, like it was like maybe my first year of podcasting and it was before I created the Academy of Breath, it was before I really scaled my business and just had experience under my belt of podcasting, working with people, coaching. And it's so cool to just see and feel the difference between the conversations then versus now. I mean, the conversation back then was incredible. And that's why she's coming back on the podcast and you get to hear our conversation today. But it was just really cool to see my progression personally as a podcast host and also just confidence in leading a conversation and also a little bit of just like relaxation. I feel like back in the day, I used to put so many people on a pedestal and get so nervous before conversations and What Emily and I were talking about before we hit record was just that these conversations to me are kind of like selfish opportunities for me to ask all my questions and have incredible conversations with some of the people that I look up to most in this industry. And so I absolutely loved this conversation with Emily. We talked all about sacred sexuality, the exploration of emotional alchemy how orgasms and pleasure are a portal into being able to manifest and create a life beyond your wildest dreams. We talk about the democratization of God and how our planet is really shifting into being more welcoming and more open to so many of these practices that I know so many of you are familiar with because you listen to this podcast. But the reality is like we are in an echo chamber and so many of the people that we surround ourselves with, whether it be via podcast or via Instagram and social media, are going to reflect back a lot of what we are already experiencing. And so I really resonate with Emily as far as her mission to make Sexuality, pleasure, meditation accessible to the masses and really provide these tools again. Because, and when I say again because they've been around for eons to the masses in a very palatable way, which is exciting for me because that's how I feel about breathwork as well. So, you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Emily is launching her podcast. I believe it actually launches today. So I'm going to link it in the show notes for you. She is also the founder of Ziva Meditation. If you didn't listen to the first episode, then this might be your first time hearing about Emily Stella Fletcher and Ziva Meditation, but she is one of my biggest inspirations and greatest mentors in the meditation space. And so I deeply respect her work and I've been so inspired and activated by the work that she's done over the past decade plus in the mindfulness and meditation space. So you are going to get a taste of that inside of this episode. Everything that you need in order to connect with Emily is linked inside of the show notes, including a masterclass that she offered. If you go to zivameditation.com forward slash podcast, one, you'll find out all about her podcast. She's got some really incredible guests coming onto her podcast soon, like Layla Martin Aubrey Marcus, amongst many other incredible human beings, which I believe some of those episodes are out now today. So definitely go and check out her podcast, give her some support, follow her on Instagram at Ziva Meditation or at Emily Stella Fletcher. And then, like I said, check out the free masterclass she offered to all of you as a gift. Again, everything is linked in the show notes. So without further ado, jump into the episode, enjoy the fuck out of it, and I'll see you on the other side. I am so excited, everyone. I'm sitting here, screen to screen with Emily Stella Fletcher, who is returning back to the Alchemized Life podcast. And we were just recording or right before we started recording, I said, I am just in this like elated state because I'm bringing on some of my favorite people that have ever been on the podcast. And Emily is definitely one of them. Emily, thank you so much for coming back on. Welcome.
1: I feel like we're both totally different people now than we were back in 2000 and whenever that was pre-pandemic versions of ourselves. So it'd be fun to like a postcard, a little snapshot of who we are now and then look at who we were a few years ago. And I think the whole world has changed in that way. Like in these like tectonic foundational ways, individually and collectively, there's been these massive shifts. So it's fun to have a conversation from a totally different point of view.
0: Yeah. I was reflecting on this morning. I was like, Emily was probably in my first year of podcasting, which meant that at the time, I was just trying to make it in LA as a breathwork instructor, teaching yoga, trying to create this amalgamation of yoga, meditation, breathwork classes in this super competitive environment. And since then, creating the Academy of Breath and like really going in my own direction, I'm like, oh my God, just like the depth of conversation we can have today based off of where I've been, based off of where you've been as well, can be so much more contextual for people and so much deeper for people because there's this beauty of lived experience that has, I mean, all of us have had over the past several years as we navigated the pandemic, but now coming out on the other side, I'm like, gosh, this conversation is going to be so good. And I have to tell you, I, inside of my certification program, when I talk about the parasympathetic nervous system, I tell them, you know, it's the rest and digest, but one of my favorite meditation teachers calls it stay and play. And so I quote you every single round. And it is Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things that you've taught me because that stay and play of the nervous system has been that sweet spot that has really created the most incredible abundance and experiences in my life.
1: Yes, that is so exciting to hear. And it's so simple and so challenging, right? Because if we really get triggered, you know, our partner says something, our ex-wife, our mother-in-law, like whatever, they say the thing and the nervous system goes into that fight or flight. It's never voluntary, but it's not like we're like, I'm now going to choose to get angry. I'm not going to choose to be sad. It's like, no, the trigger is involuntary. So then to actively have tools or to put deposits in your nervous system's bank account for enough time that gives you the ability to actually choose how you want to respond to that demand is both simple and wildly difficult. It's very hard to choose, stay in play if the body and the nervous system are going involuntarily into fight or flight. And yet like that is the work again and again, hour after hour, day after day. Like, can I be present in this moment? Can I take care of myself? Can I take care of my nervous system, the little version of me, and then show up as like a present person who's ready to play. Like that's really why we're here. And it's been a big theme because you know I've just very recently started a podcast that's coming out soon. And one of the main themes that's coming up is like taking care of our inner child, but also play and the power of play. And that word, I think it's, we sort of write it off. Like, yeah, play, I'm too busy for that. Or yeah, play, like I'm an adult. Play, yeah, I have taxes and bills. I don't have time to play. But it's like, well, actually play is free. You can do it right now. It makes everything more fun. And when you're in that elevated state, like you become a magnet for much higher quality things. So it's like, let's stop writing it off and let's like re-fall in love with the magic and power of play.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I feel like it's been something that I've had to really reintroduce to myself lately because I've been so just caught up in doing all of the things for the business. I mean, you know, you have your training programs as well. You have your podcast, you have your books, like you have so many different things going on. And so it's so easy to get caught up in all of that and to put play on the back burner or have it be this treat that you give yourself after mm. all of the pieces get done. And that's been something that I've really had to retrain myself in lately is to add those moments of play throughout my week and throughout my day in, in, in those little moments, it doesn't have to be this massive trip. I'm in, I'm in Palm Springs right now. I went to Coachella last weekend and I was like, this is my play moment. But even that single day that I went, I was like, This needs to be happening more, not the like grand experience of going to a massive music festival, Mm -hmm. but the intentionality of dancing and laughing and being so present with the people around me, because that's what really allows for me. And I know for so many people that I talk to, to like have the energy and have the battery to keep going and do the big things.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly it. It's like, once you start to see that it's actually not only a generator, but also a magnet right? That it's like plugging you into source energy. It's charging up all of your cells with this frequency of play. And then as you get into this higher frequency, you become a magnet for the things that you really want. It's actually like a more fun, easier, and dare I say more effective way of getting the things that you want than just like grinding and hustling and working. And I feel like there's this massive paradigm shift happening now because we were, and to some degree still are, like Living in this hyper masculine world, I don't, I have no judgment of masculine, feminine, of one is good or one is bad. But anytime something gets out of balance, right? So if things are too far on the masculine of driven, let's achieve, let's accomplish, let's acquire, then it's not good or bad. It's just we have been out of balance. And now it feels like the whole frequency of the planet is changing into this more divine feminine frequency. And again, not good nor bad. And we don't want the scales to shift where we're in another imbalance. We don't want to move from patriarchy to matriarchy. but What we do want is balance, this equanimity to where we can have both the active seeking, the hunting, but then also the receiving. And so I think that as the frequency of the planet is changing, I'm noticing so many people are waking up and these new types of gifts are coming online. I mean, the ability to alchemize, the ability to, or even the desire to sit in meditation, And certainly like in some of the new work that I'm going into, which is basically using like the most creative force that we have, which is the energy that could create a human, which is the most divine things that we could do, or it can create things that you want in your life. So it's, it's interesting to watch. Certainly I'm in an echo chamber, but it's cool to watch people being more curious about these things. And also like leaning into what have been sort of temple arts run usually by women and to watch like the whole world being curious about the divine feminine. And again, that is not like female led. It doesn't mean that the future is female, like the future is integrated to where all of us have access to our masculine and feminine, and that we actually in nurturing this divine feminine, we make space for and herald the divine masculine so that we have this real polarity inside of ourselves and inside of the society.
0: Yeah. It's fascinating to be immersed in that world. I'm curious because in, I want to say like 20, end of 2020, maybe 2021 was when I really started learning more about the divine feminine versus divine masculine and the integration of both energies. What, where did you, cause we didn't talk about this at all a couple of years ago. So where did this come from? Where did you, when did you start learning and diving into this and like, really like immersing yourself in this work?
1: Yeah. So you're right. Like I spent 13 years like teaching meditation for high performance and, you know, Google, Harvard business school, Viacom, Barclays bank, like really trying to make this kind of, and it's hard to think now anyone under 40 or anyone who's been meditating since, you know, they were a child, like they don't remember that it was weird, that meditation was taboo, that my ex-husband wouldn't tell people I was a meditation teacher at cocktail parties because he didn't, he thought that they would be like, it's too weird. Then it got so popular he wouldn't tell people at parties that I was a meditation teacher because they just would talk my ear off all night yeah. and he'd never see me again. <laughs> so like, we, I've witnessed that in the past 13 years since I started teaching. And, and interestingly, like I was very much feeling that zeitgeist of like, if I could just take this esoteric medicine that is meditation and wrap it in the candy coating of like, hey, this thing is gonna make you more money and help you have better sex. Like I was willing to take the medicine and help people, help meet people where they were. And and I mean, I've built a whole career. My, my book is called Stress Less, Accomplish More, right? Let's, we'll meditate so we can accomplish more, which is a decidedly sort of like hyper-driven, even capitalistic kind of masculine way of seeing things. And then when, I mean, the whole world through, went through what I would call like a near-death experience. You know, if one person has a near-death experience, it changes them. They either wake up and have a full enlightenment moment of like they see and taste the fragility and the preciousness of every moment that we have left in this body Or it creates so much trauma that it shuts them down. And so I'm seeing this happen collectively where I feel like we're in a K-shaped recovery. Like, you know, there's a K-shaped economic recovery where rich are getting richer, poor are getting poorer. That's not news. But what I've noticed is that it's also happening spiritually, meaning Mm -hmm. people who've been meditating and doing therapy and doing breath work and yoga and shadow work I'm watching them like pop off into these like God consciousness states, like popcorn or turning into sex, which is left and right. And then meanwhile, people who have not had the privilege of having access to therapy and breath work and yoga and meditation and medicine work are plummeting into depression, anxiety, overwhelm, suicidality. And so the question is like, are we just going to keep this going? Like, are we going to keep this bifurcation happening or, and it's again, neither good nor bad, but is that a society that we want to live in? or do we want to start to work to make more unity. And in that case we're going to have to get curious about how do we empower the people who are who have had access to these tools to help to lift up the people who are suffering. And so that I think is sort of the, the dharmic imperative that's been going on in the background. And then and I always like to ask myself you know like what's the most pressing need of the time? How do my personal skills best serve that need? And then which of those skills do I want to use right now? Mm. It's like, what's the need of the time? How do my gifts best serve that need? And which of those gifts do I want to use right now? And so I was definitely working with a different need of the time and a different set of skill sets. And then just like the whole world went through a massive change. I also went through a massive change, you know, had, I would say quite profound, sometimes spontaneous, sometimes intentional awakenings of different sorts, like energetic gifts coming online, full Kundalini awakenings, lots of spontaneous healings happening in the body. And and finally coming to a place where it was like, I'm going to choose myself and I'm going to choose the path of highest evolution for me. Mm-hmm. And that involved like a radical change of my life, a change in my company. I ended up asking for a divorce. And then three weeks later, I met who's now my, a woman who's now my best friend. Her name is Layla Martin. She's a world famous Tantra teacher. And I also met my now partner and cosmic lover named Adam and I and then a few weeks later, I ended up moving in with a woman named Regina, also known as Mama Gina. Of, mm, so yes. she wrote a, yeah. I love so like her book. She wrote, yeah, she wrote a New York Times bestselling book called Pussy, A Reclamation. So I went from being like pretty locked down in New York City, like sort of like in this like selling meditation as a performance tool, to like nature just sort of fire hosing me with this PhD in sacred sexuality. And it's been fun for me personally, but it feels like nature has it's like, Hey, Emily, like do what you did for meditation, but now do it for these even more potent and even more taboo tools. The world is ready. You know, like, cause it's like my dad who died of cancer would have never touched a green juice before he got his cancer diagnosis. Right. And then once he got diagnosed, he was like, yeah, give me all the green juice. Give me all the therapy. Give me all the like, quote unquote, weird hippie medicine. And now I feel like people are just ready. It's like the suffering is too intense. We recognize that our time is limited. And so it's like, okay, if there's something that someone somewhere told me was bad, but it actually is the key to getting what I want and enjoying my life more, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be open to that. So anyway, it's been a wild two and a half years of just like studying as much as I can, having so many activations, going on wild adventures and sort of becoming, dare I say, like in certain ways a high priestess, you know, because back in the day, many of these sacred arts, they were temple arts. And so birth, death, when people were sick, when they were initiated, a lot of these practices were actually facilitated in temples with women through like matriarchal lineages. And then we just sort of forgot that. Or we extracted a lot of those practices and adapted them into a lot of the doctrines or dogmas that are most famous on the planet today. And so it feels like there is this collective reclamation that is happening, both of our own pleasure, but also of our ancient um, birthrights. And so this taking back of power, and of course, there's always going to be a pendulum swing there, right? Where it's like, people feel threatened by that old institutions feel threatened by that and they will try to control. But, you know, as the internet is proving us, and certainly as AI is about to prove us that those days are over, you know, the days of being able to control a channel of information. No. And I think that's happening, you know, just like, you know, in the fifties, it was NBC, ABC, and CBS, it was three news stations, now we all have TV stations in our pocket. Yeah. I think it feels like the same thing is happening spiritually. You know, it used to be the Pope and the Dalai Lama, and like you'd have to go through someone else to get to God. And now what I want to help facilitate is the democratization of God to remind everyone that they can plug directly into the divine through their own heads, hearts, and whoas. has.
0: I love that so much. And it, it honestly makes me emotional, especially when you shared around, you know, what gifts do I have? What is the need right now? How can I use Or how do I want to use these gifts? Because I've found even for myself, like over these last several years, when the world first shut down, the gift that felt most alive within me besides breathwork was business. And it was interesting to see how teaching people how to bring their businesses online became obviously such a need during that time and how Mm -hmm. supported that was by God in getting Mm -hmm. my work out to the world in big ways. And now what I'm seeing, and I mean, the Academy of Breath at the same time was just shut off because of everybody needing breath work, needing meditation. But now what I'm seeing actually even more is less of the emphasis on the business aspect and more of the emphasis on, like you said, like the democratization of God and people being able to find God through breath and through meditation. So it feels like really exciting to be having this conversation because Mm -hmm. it feels like a mirror and a reflection of what I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing as well. I'm so curious because the accessibility piece has always been so big to me and very much like meditation years ago, very much like sexuality now and Tantra now, breathwork has also been one of those things where people are like, what is this? Mm -hmm. And this is like, you know, Kapalabhati, breath of fire, like what are they doing over there? And so accessibility and packaging these tools for me has also been a really big part of my mission and just like the ethos underneath the company, how are you feeling? And maybe what are you even experiencing as you've started to dip your toes and like really immerse yourself in this world and start to bring more of this to the surface as offerings to the collective, Mm -hmm. the the dichotomy between like the more driven, like more masculine focused of like packaging of, of meditation to now, the incorporation of a little bit more duality, I would say, in the way in which you're speaking about and presenting sexuality.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, it's been fascinating because what I'm fascinated by mostly is who's showing up, right? So I have this six-month mastermind and it's called Evidence of Magic. And so even, you know, putting magic in the name of something, like given that I was like the Harvard Business School, Google, Viacom, you know, I was the one that was making like, and I even, I mean, my team, had very specific directives of like no mala beads, no stacked rocks, like no incense, no patchouli. Like we are the anti-woo-woo company. Not that I have any judgment of that, but it's like, we want to talk to people who maybe wouldn't otherwise be interested in meditation. And now I feel like we're doing that, but with people who would never go to a tantra retreat, never do sacred sexuality work. And yet if it's offered as a way to come home to yourself, as a way to charge yourself up as a way to heal yourself and as a way to become a magnet for your dreams then suddenly people who wouldn't that would be turned off by the dm are not even just turned off but just not interested in the idea of tantra or even sacred sexuality work so that's what i feel like we're doing and then as a result what's fascinating is who's showing up so i have the six month container it's called evidence of magic we just did our kickoff initiation retreat in costa Rica. And on that retreat, we had a 64-year-old man who had just sold a defense contracting company. Wow. We had two military, one CIA, a mother of 10. We have uh, like two CEOs. So like really like just not who you would think would be going on like a Costa Rican sacred sexuality, use your sexual energy to manifest your dreams type of retreat. And I think the common thread in you know i've been doing this for a really long time and so in this particular room it was that they just trusted me that they, i had earned enough good capital and they had, the ziva practice had changed their lives enough that they were like cool like whatever you're wherever you're going like i want to check it out and that's i'm proud of that like i'm proud that people trust me and that the tools and techniques that i've taught them so far have changed their lives so profoundly that they're willing to step into something that is historically so controversial and that might bring up a lot of triggers for them And that is not scalable, right? Like there's only so many people and I've taught 50,000 people to meditate, which is a lot, but 50,000 people, even if every single one of them learn to do these new modalities is only a tiny drop in the bucket of really the work that we have to do on the planet. And so then the question is like, how do we really start to scale this? Because I have dreams of, you know, stadiums filled with people climaxing at the same time, holding a vision for the planet. And it's like, how are we going to fill those stadiums in a way that... Because like meditation was weird and woo-woo 13 years ago. When you start to talk about sex, it's not just curiosity. It's not just lack of knowledge. It's tens of thousands of years of active conditioning, programming, and shame. That has been designed to divorce you from your divinity.
0: My mom literally covers her eyes when we're watching a sex scene on the TV. And I'm just like, mom, what the heck? And she's Irish Catholic, you know, shame, just shame, shame, shame her entire childhood to the point where it's something that is, that makes her so uncomfortable in ways that I'm so grateful didn't fully pass on to me. But I definitely have experienced that, like the little bit of contraction and walls coming up around sex and the different layers of like Tantra and sacred sexuality as I started exploring it. So yeah, it's huge.
1: Yeah. And so like, which leads me to the question of like, why, like, if you think of your mom, like that something would have to be so powerful and so threatening to someone somewhere to create like an active campaign to get people to forget that they actually have access to the most divine thing possible right inside of them. And so, the, so my, my podcast is called, Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? And it's like, well, why? Why isn't everyone embracing these tools? Why are we so shamed about this? Why do we have so much conditioning? Who said it was bad? Who said it was wrong? And why? Because if you ask most people, like, how do you feel post-climax? Like right after you orgasm, how do you feel? I mean, I've done this now. It's a room filled with thousands of people. Mostly it's a pure, clean, blissful, relaxed, joyous, connected to everything. Like this is what you hear not dirty, shameful, wrong, I'm gonna burn in hell. Like that's not what happens in the body. It's not the neurochemistry of what's happening. turns out that orgasm is actually extraordinarily good for your immune system, for your body age, for neuroplasticity, for your endocrine levels, for your hormone regulation. Like it's basically like an elixir of life. It's like a, a powerful internal pharmacy. And that's to say nothing of the more woo woo concepts around it that you could actually use your creation energy to manifest. And that's really what I'm like building this whole new body of work on is that this is like embodied manifesting. Cause I've been teaching manifesting for a long time, but now, but a lot of people where they get tripped up in manifesting is like, Emily, I don't know what I want. And often people, when people don't know what they want, I say, what's your relationship with pleasure? What's your relationship with your own desire? Because if you don't know what you want physically, if you don't know what you desire in your body, it's much more challenging to know what you want in your life, right? So the cool thing is that as we start to connect our ability to hear our internal desires, then it strengthens that muscle of being able to know what it is that you even want to manifest in your life at all. And then again, as that two-way conversation gets stronger, when you go into manifestation, you can start to cultivate and curate and build what I call like life force, so this creation energy in the body. So that if these moments of peak pleasure, it's almost like you're dedicating it to the dream, to the thing that you're looking to call in.
0: It's so cool. I feel like this whole conversation in this whole realm is so fascinating to me. I remember going into a mastermind and the woman who led it, Ashay Sundara, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She lives in Austin. I think she's gone through a lot of Layla's programs and she is so committed to this work in such a beautiful way. And that was really like my first taste of like orgasmic manifestation essentially. And it was I, you know, if I'm being totally honest, I've certainly followed, fallen off on it. And what's so interesting is that back then I was so clear on what I wanted. I was so clear on what I wanted my life to look like, how I wanted to feel. And as you were just starting to talk about manifestation and say, like, a lot of people tell me I don't know what I want. I have literally been in my meditation practices for months now. Like, I don't really know what the next level is. I don't really know what I want. Like, I know how I want to feel. Mm But if I were to paint a picture of what the next level after this beautiful level that I'm already at is, Mm -hmm. I have no idea. And I think that Mm -hmm. you just answered that missing piece for me of I need to be back in my body. I need to be Mm -hmm. prioritizing pleasure more.
1: Mm. I mean, there's, so I would offer two things. It's possible that as you get into the body, because the body is this innate wisdom, right? It's so smart. The mind is where our trauma and our fear and our stories and our limiting beliefs, like all of that is also in our mind. And oftentimes if we can get into the heart, if we can get into the hoo-ha, and by the way, the word hoo-ha I use to mean all genders and both the anatomy and the energy center. Right? So it's like, when you think about your heart, it's not just the organ bumping blood. It's the energy center around it. It's the feelings around it. It's the thymus gland as well. And when you say your head, it's not just the brain, right? It's the mind, it's the emotions, it's the thoughts. So all three, head, heart, and hoo-ha have both the anatomy, but then also the larger, more holistic energy centers around them. And so it's possible that if you got more in your heart, more in your body, more in your hoo-ha, more in your pleasure practice, that level of like gnosis or body awareness would elucidate some specific vision or something that you desire. But I just want to offer another counter is that perhaps you're in a phase of savoring, you know, and that maybe right now, like you are living the manifestation and instead of just going on to the next, which is really the all be happy when syndrome, could we enjoy the savoring? And I just got out of five days of pitch black, total deprivation and darkness in a cave. And the thing that dropped in was like, don't get so busy manifesting the future that you forget to savor the now. In fact, it is the savoring of the now that plants the highest quality seeds for the future. And so perhaps you're in a savoring season right now. And like, so if you trust that, like just every bite of food, as you walk around the house that you built, as you're at the festival that you paid for doing the thing that you love, that you're just savoring the shit out of it. And that trusting that in the savoring, you are planting the seeds for the things that are on the way. And also you said, I know how I want to feel. And I just had a session with my coach this morning and I was telling her, I have like, It's what, like April, almost May. And I still haven't done a vision board for this year. Like I teach manifesting for a living, like what's going on? Like, what is this? And I was like, well, I can't, I can't see it. Like, I can't see what it looks like. And she's like, it's okay to put down what you do know. And that might be a feeling like, how does the house make you feel? How does the relationship make you feel? How does the trip make you feel? And then just put that part down. And then she actually guided against getting too specific with it because she's like, then, you know, we all know, this is like, then you're controlling the how and what I teach at Ziva, it's like, your job is the what and the why, what do you want? Why do you want it? What do you want? Why do you want it? Let nature take care of the how and the when. So two things I'm just offering one, perhaps savoring is your season right now. And two, manifesting the feeling, I think is very powerful. And then you get the joy of being surprised by nature who definitely knows better than we do.
0: Yeah. I love this so much. I think I'm just going to like take that clip out and see if there's a way for me to make that my alarm every single morning. (laughs) (laughs) Emily says, remind. (laughs) Okay. So I have more things that I want to talk to you about, but we're going to take one step backwards because you said you were just in a cave for five days and I need to know what were you doing in this cave? What was this experience? Holy shit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Holy shit is right. So I first heard about this from my friend, Aubrey Marcus, who actually made a whole documentary about it. And then my friend Layla went to my friend blue and, and all of them had really beautiful experiences and Since New Year's, I've just been feeling like, go in, go in. Like I've been, like, I want to cave in the earth alone. Like I've been actively craving solitude and listening. Like that's, listen, soften, cave. I've just been almost on repeat since January. This is very unusual for me, right? Like I have a four-year-old son. I'm a CEO of a company. I'm extraordinarily extroverted. I travel all the time speaking at conferences. So like cave, soften, listen, not my MO. And so when I heard that this was a thing, I was like, I know I'm going to do this. I don't know exactly when, I don't know honestly even why, but I just know I'm going to go. And then I did an Akashic record reading earlier this year and they were like, soften, soften, soften. This is your medicine, soften. And so I, I messaged them, the place is called Sky Cave Retreats. And this amazing man named Scott runs it. And I messaged him and I was like, hi, you know, what's possible? He's like, we're booked out for 10 months. And I was like, ugh. Thanks, Aaron Rodgers and Aubrey Marcus, because Aaron <laughs> Rodgers did it as well. The famous quarterback. Okay. And so, you know, so they were writing about it on like ESPN and things. And so a whole new crop of people got exposed to it. Anyway, he moved some things around. He fit me in within three weeks notice. And so I fly to Oregon, I show up. This man that I've never met picks me up in a truck at the airport, drives me in the dark up to a mountain to 42 acres of off-grid land. There's no cell, there's no Wi-Fi. there's no post office, there's no, like they're growing their own food, they're, it's all solar powered, like wild. Just, just to be on that land was its own medicine, the hand-built sauna with a cold plunge, with running water from the melted snow off of the mountains of Oregon. Like like my dream of dreams. Women with babies strapped to their chest, working the land, like kids playing together, being unschooled together. So anyway, just setting the scene. Okay. So I arrive, I have Wednesday day, sauna cold plunge, get like wrap up things I need to wrap up. And then I do a two-hour somatic healing session with this amazing practitioner named Adrian. Which the idea of somatic therapy is that you're getting out of your head and into your body right? Instead of solving the problem in your mind, can you feel the feeling in your body? And it just is fascinating to me how fucking hard that is for most of us. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How many more classes or books or PhD or TED Talks do we need to watch before we remember that like all we have to do is feel our feelings? Like how many more breathwork sessions, how many more years of meditation before we just learn how to feel our feelings? And so the session was amazing. And then they leave, like Scott and Adrian leave and the lights are on and I'm in this room. It's They say cave, but it's really like a tiny room sort of like built into the earth. And, and they leave and I was like, wait, what? And they're like, oh yeah, you initiate the ceremony. And I was like, I have to turn off the lights? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, something scared as if I'm a little girl. And I had had a tiny taste of the darkness that morning because I, I slept in the room the night before, even though I wasn't technically in the dark yet. And it is dark, like like dark, like you've never seen before. No light you there you it's like scuba diving in the deep blue where you don't know what's up or down, right or left. It's just like an abyss of darkness. So finally, they leave. I light one tea light candle because he said some people like the candle to be the last thing that they see. I light the candle, I brush my teeth. I you know get in bed and I'm just like, pray that I fall asleep before the candle goes out that I don't have to face the dark until the morning. And then I slept for probably 16 to 18 hours, like just slept and slept and slept. Woke up, did a little bit of stuff. And then just, it felt like the darkness just enveloped me and went back and slept again for so long. And then my body was sort of done sleeping. And I still have three days left. Nothing to do, nowhere to go, nothing to hear, no music, no reading, no other people, nothing to do but feel, and boy, howdy did I feel. Like it turned into like a rage cave, like rage and then grief and then rage and then grief and then judgment and rage and grief, just layers and layers and layers. And finally we're at like day four and a half. And cause I, I know, cause Scott comes by once a day to like make a fire and drop food in the little cabinet. So like, I kind of know what day it is. And, and I'm like, finally I surrender to the fact where I'm like, well, I might just leave this cave like angrier, sadder and more judgmental than I came in. And I was like, okay, well, here we are. Like, that's what nature wants. And it was in the surrendering to that because I definitely went in with an agenda, right? I was like, oh, I'm going to transmute my judgment with love and I'm going to see my shadow and love it into, you know, obedience really. And the thing is you can't feel your feelings with an agenda to change them. You can't like accept the, the judgment with an agenda to transmute it into love. It's like, you it just wants to be witnessed as it is. It wants to be accepted as it is. And I would consider myself a recovering codependent, recovering people pleaser. And so to have no one else's emotions to deal with, but my own, I actually had the space and time and luxury and, you know, hell of feeling my own feelings. And by the end of it, I realized, my my pain is not bigger or smaller than anyone else's. It's not more or less special than anyone else's, but here it is and it's big and it needs to be felt. So I am simply left with the question of what am I going to do to make space to feel it? And then I also was realizing like these feelings, is they're not helping me get to where I want to go and yet they must be felt. And so by the end, I like the, the final morning, I'm sort of like aware that he's like, you know, I'm going to go into the light this day. And I made a bath and he came and he knocked on the door and he's like, Emily, it's time. And I was like, can I have more time? <laughs> so I was here five days alone. And finally, like I wanted more time. And I imagine that that's very much like life, right? If you feel like you have limitless time, you'll waste and distract and busier time away. But if you get a, a you know, life-threatening prognosis, all right, you have days, weeks, months to live and you know that those hours are numbered, they become so precious. And suddenly you want to like suck the juice out of every minute And that's, and you want more of it, right? It becomes even more precious. And so that was a fascinating thing to witness as well. But like just how precious actually all of it is. And don't wait until we get a death diagnosis to start to savor it in the now. So then he brought me out of the cave. We put an eye mask on, come out of the cave. And even just feeling the wind on my skin after five days of nothing was like a a miracle. Took off the eye mask, kept my eyes closed, brightest thing I've ever seen, like a baby coming out of the womb for the first time, like even with my eyes closed. And then I open my eyes and, and like, like, like gas and start sobbing, crying. It's just a miracle of it all. And, and, and then knowing in that moment, it's an unkeepable promise, but the promise that I made to myself was like, I don't want to ever take it for granted. And of course you're gonna start taking it for granted, but just to be reminded of the miracle of it all. And I think the first thing out of my mouth was something like, drugs are cool and all, but have you ever seen moss grow on a tree? (laughs) And like just looking at tiny little sprouts for hours on end. But I think what I'm left with from it was was really that piece of like, what is it gonna take to give us permission to feel our feelings? And and this is much of what this new work is based on. Like I'm doing a lot of actually emotional alchemy, like yeah. giving people the tools to really feel and acknowledge and accept where they are. And then can we start to alchemize them to help us get to where we want to go? And now having gone through this experience, I'm going to spend a lot more time just in the like accepting and the feeling before we even touch transmutation.
0: Wow. What an experience. <laughs> I yeah. mean... Yeah, Yeah. that is wild. I have never heard of anything like that. It sounds absolutely terrifying, but also so liberating. And also I feel like what so many of us need, because I know like for myself, when I started getting into embodiment work and, and like somatics, I, the way that I always felt comfortable. And I hear this from so many people in my world. It's like, I don't want to be consumed by the feelings very much. Like you said, you know, like these feelings aren't helpful to get me where I want to go. And so because we've deemed it and categorized it as unhelpful, well, mm-hmm. why would I take the time to let myself feel? Why would I take the time to let myself process? I mean, even when I was going through, it was in twenty. 21, I, I think it was like in the summer, that's really when I knew that my my marriage was ending and was like really confronted with the decision of like, do you have the courage to walk away now? Do you have the courage to, to let this go? And Brave. it didn't, yeah, it didn't come for, you know, I would say nine more months after that, where mm-hmm. I finally was like, now I'm ready to actually vocalize this. But during that time, I mean, I didn't really... Like, really grieve, really feel up until maybe June of this last year. It took mm-hmm. me a while. And I remember there being moments where I was like, All right, well, I'm going to let myself feel for 20 minutes and then I'm going to
1: splash some water on That's my some face. Really good grieving for these yeah. 20 minutes, <laughs> do a quick breath break session. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. I'm going to play this one angry, sad song. Yes. And. <laughs> And, and, and that, but
0: that's how so many of us are. And, and I just like, I commend you. If you could even do that. Yeah. If you're
1: even doing that, like you at least have the emotional intelligence and the tools of like embodiment practices, breath, or you even know that this is a thing that you should be doing. I would argue that most of the world is just like having coffee all day and wine all night and Netflix and pot and pills and not even aware of the enormity of what is asking to be felt.
0: Yeah, 100%. And it's like the the cycle of the numbing mm-hmm.
1: makes it so the
0: moment that something you feel something it's way it's not w- what do I do about this in a healthy way it, it's what can I grab right now so that I don't feel this and you know it's really interesting because my partner he has ADHD and so for him I see him get really antsy and really excited. And he's like, okay, well, I need to, I need to drink a beer. I'm like, no, let's go move our bodies. Let's go, let's meditate. Let's practice breath work because there's that, that feeling inside of you, which Mm -hmm. I know is uncomfortable to feel, but it's just a perpetuation of the feeling or putting off the feeling by grabbing Mm -hmm. something less helpful or less healthy for you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And like on the numbing front, it's like if you spend your whole life trying to numb the pain, like good luck feeling the full rapture and ecstasy that is available to us in the human experience. And I think that because we've been trained since infancy to not feel our feelings, you know, it's don't cry, have a bottle. Don't cry, have a toy. Don't cry, have an iPad, have some Netflix, have some booze, have some pot, have some pills, but don't feel. No matter what you do, don't feel. And then, and so we've trained ourselves to think that that is bad, that it is wrong. And then in certainly the like more spiritual communities that that is like dark or negative energy and that it's keeping me from my manifestations, When actually like the deeper I go down these rabbit holes, I'm like, this is the mud from whence the lotus must grow. Like this is actually the fuel that will alchemize the awakening. This is the generator that will magnetize your dreams, but not if we ignore it, or if we just try to transmute it with love without actually feeling it. And I think, you know, we're all just like bypassing it because it's uncomfortable. But what I found in that cave is that even though it was like wave after wave after wave, like the waves themselves were not that long, you know, it'd rage for maybe like five minutes.
0: Yeah. You
1: no. Know, and then it would move. And then maybe tears would come for three to five minutes and then would come. And so it's just, they're, they're just waves, and And usually, and I would actively like then transmute it with pleasure practices. Like I would go into what I call pleasure prayer, which you're using your pleasure to pray. And because i I knew I didn't want that stuff, I only had I only had five days. And so i I don't I did want to like keep moving that stuff through my body. Like I didn't want it to get stuck in my cells. Yeah, so I, I think it requires a real level of mastery to have that simultaneity of like leaning in all the way and surrendering to the bigness of the feeling with no agenda to change it really just witnessing it and seeing it because we all want to be witnessed right like all of it wants to be seen and witnessed and then knowing when it's time when your body's ready how to alchemize that into fuel for your dreams Mm. and uh, you know it's like to me it's the most important game in town and like as we're like you know, we already had a mental health crisis globally, and the pandemic just poured gasoline on top of that. So now we're really like seeing, <laughs> we're we're reaping what we've been sowing, and and so I think that just the eminence of this, of these somatic technologies, of breath work, of pleasure practices, of meditation, like it's it it, it feels like real like alarm bell time.
0: Yeah, 100%. So pleasure prayer. Can you share a little bit more about that? Because I am assuming most people listening to this podcast have never dipped their toes into that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I could be wrong, but I think I've sort of created that term. And this is basically just like my version. This is my attempt to take these powerful ancient modalities that have been around for a long time, but I don't think are going to make their way into middle America. Like I don't think I'm going to fill a stadium with 80,000 people coming from their Baptist church. To the stadium, if we're talking about Kundalini and Yonis and all, you know, it's just, I just think it's a, a branding issue, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so with pleasure prayer, it's that you have a prayer, something that you would love, right? So we usually start with getting into coherence with ourselves and each other, if I'm doing it in a group, but you could do this on your own, right? So you just like drop in and listen, like, what would I love? Like, what is my prayer? And as we talked about earlier, that's, that's a big step for people even having knowing what it is that they want and having the ability to listen to the desires. So let's not minimize that. (laughs) So oftentimes we have to get quiet, we have to do meditation work to get into that space of really being able to listen. And then from there, we move into emotional alchemy, which is basically clearing the channel, right? Like anything in the way of that, we're gonna transmute it. We're gonna feel it fully, we're gonna experience it. And then we're gonna start to alchemize it. And we're alchemizing it just into pure energy. And remembering that the the hoo-ha right? Like this is our generator. This is our life force. Like this is the thing that can do the most divine act that a human is capable of doing, which is to create another human, right? It's the most godlike thing we can do. And yet every time we orgasm, we don't make a baby. Thank goodness, it'd be very crowded on planet Earth if that was the case. But, and yet every time we're in this orgasmic state, it's like the veil is thin, the walls between the right and left hemispheres are blended and we're flooding the body with this beautiful endogenous pharmacology of bliss, which is the exact cocktail that we need in order to be effective manifestors. So we start with, what would I love? Clear the channel. And then we start to build the charge. We start to build this creation energy in the body. And you move from from your hoo-ha up into your heart, up into your head. And then at the moment of peak pleasure, it's like you're dedicating or sending all of that energy to the dream, to the thing that you would really want. And the thing that is exciting to me about this is that certainly we can do this individually. We can do this in partnership for our own personal desires, for our like quote unquote selfish things that we want to manifest. Where I get really excited about the potential of this is that we could be having, you know, really creating big antennas, like getting a lot of people in coherence with themselves and each other, and then offering up a collective prayer for the species, a collective prayer for the planet. Because I just have seen how powerful this is. Like not every time, but it's very, very effective as a manifesting tool. Like very rarely if you do this thing, does does a thing not show up and so i have this hypothesis that if we were to get a critical mass of people in these heightened states of consciousness holding a shared frequency and dream i think we can and and would change the timeline of the species and when people are like this is so radical this is so wild i'm like no what's radical is driving this bus off the sh- off of the cliff cuz like that's where we're heading like you yeah. look at the numbers you look at the stats you look at you know like you know, climate scientists are saying that everything is so much faster than what we thought. Oh, it was already a doomsday prediction and oh, it's happening much faster than we predicted. So like that to me seems insane. Yeah, We're just going to like follow that timeline. We're just going to accept that as a reality for ourselves and our children and our grandchildren if they're even lucky enough to exist. That seems insane to me. Teaching people that they can access and utilize their own pleasure, their own God-given pleasure to create a heaven on earth, to create a revolution that does not require a revolt, does not seem audacious to me. It seems actually necessary.
0: And a really fun way to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like what? You would us to like, like protest and like suffer and like you know, like kill our way to peace? Like, doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, hasn't worked. Hasn't worked. <laughs> yeah. Let's try a new a new route. Well, I just love
0: this so much, and I'm so excited for your podcast to come out. I know that it's going to be launching very, very shortly. So, can you just share a little bit about when the podcast is coming out, what we can expect, and maybe like one of your upcoming really favorite episodes that you have planned?
1: Yeah. So the show is called Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? And you know, based on like I the first time I learned meditation, I was like, ding, 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 ding. Like this is it. Why isn't everyone doing this? And now having discovered sacred sexuality, it's like I feel the same. I feel like I'm on the we're on the precipice of something really big. You know, meditation has changed the world in the past 10 years. And I think this is about to happen. I think we're on the verge of a sexual revolution. The whole podcast is not about sex. It's it's a, basically an opportunity to interview some of my best friends, these experts, doctors, scientists, high priestesses, and ask them the question, when did you have that moment? When did you discover the thing? And you felt like, God, this is so good. Why isn't everyone doing this? And so one of my favorite episodes is with my friend, Blue, who's an amazing, she calls herself an activation artist and an artist and a speaker. And her episode is all about playing and praying and really like the power of of play, like we talked about earlier, because, you know, the reality is as much as I'm into sacred sexuality and using orgasm as a vehicle to manifestation, it's not available to you on aisle three in the grocery store or at church or, you know, at the middle of your Thanksgiving reunion. But play is... You know, you can always play a game. You can always have more fun. And so that frequency of laughter, you know, it's a similar frequency to orgasm, actually, laughter and orgasm. So we talked about play. And then I had Layla on, and she gave us like a beautiful, like, history of like what even is Tantra, which Cliffs notes it's finding God everywhere, even in the darkness, even in the most taboo things. And it's why we associate Tantra with sexuality. It's not inherently sexual, it's just that because sexuality has been so constrained and confined, that that has been a place that we assume that God was not because there is so much shame and conditioning around it that once we unlock that, then we get so much of our own divinity unlocked for us. So Blue's episode is amazing. Layla's episode is amazing. And those are actually the first two that we are dropping on May 16th. So it's coming out May 16th everywhere the podcasts are. And we also have Aubrey Marcus and Vailana Marcus and Dr. Kat Meyer, Dr. Liz Letchford, Some really, really fascinating guests. And I'm so excited. And I want to congratulate you for having a podcast for five years. It's no small feat. So thank you for your passion.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I absolutely adored this conversation. Can you just share where everyone can find you, how we can learn more Mm -hmm. about Ziva and also how we can learn more about all of the new things that are going to be coming out?
1: Yeah, so the best place is zivameditation.com. So Ziva is a Sanskrit word, means bliss, Z-I-V-A. Everything is at zivameditation.com. We're all over Instagram at Ziva meditation, And there's actually, I'd love to offer your folks a free masterclass. So if you want to go to zivameditation.com slash podcast, there's a free masterclass there that just goes into more of the neuroscience of, of what the Ziva technique is, what makes it so special. And then as far as the new stuff, that's going to be coming out in the fall. And that'll be, we'll be talking about it on the podcast and all over Instagram.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Alchemized Life. As always, all of the things that we mentioned inside of the episode you can find inside of the show notes, including links to our upcoming programs like the Academy of Breath, our 12 week breathwork and meditation certification program, and Breathwork, our six week personal practice course. Both of those can be found at academyofbreath.org. And if you're interested in any of my upcoming business coaching programs like Proximity, my 12-month membership, which is essentially an all-access pass into every program, every course, and hot seat community coaching calls once a month, you can find that at avajohanna.com. And finally, if you enjoyed this week's episode, it would mean the world if you share it with a friend or tag us on your social media. Make sure to tag me at I am Ava Johanna. And if you've been listening to the show every Tuesday, it would be so appreciated if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts and give the show a follow on Spotify. I truly am so grateful for all of your support and this amazing community that we've built since
1: 2018. And I cannot wait to see you guys next week for another show.